listening to Miller and Moulton, exclusively on the Florida Sports Network. And now, here's Mark Miller and David Moulton. And joined on this Groundhog's Day by Pat Kerwin. He of NFL Radio's Moving the Chains, CBS's NFL Today Show. CBS, of course, with the Super Bowl a week from Sunday. Pat will be in Vegas, but first, he had to put in a week in Mobile, Alabama, site of the Senior Bowl. It's where Pat joins us now, courtesy of Pinchers, Tampa to Key West, all points in between Pinchers where you can't fake fresh. Top of the morning to you, Pat. How are you? I'm doing fine. Good morning, guys. And uh, trying to get my arms around 130 players and figure out who can play. So it's been fun. Perfect weather all week. Uh, three practices in pads and running around actually doing a lot of football things. So got a pretty good view of them today. We've got a, a significant amount of interviews. We're over in the convention center. There's a walkthrough and then uh, we'll get a lot more. We've already had like 30 interviews. So I'd like to get to at least 50 before the, uh, we get out of here. So it's been It's been productive to say the least. Has the practice changed? I mean, you've been doing the Senior Bowl for a long time. How much better has this become from a standpoint of how organized it is and how, how you're able to watch practice and, and basically get a read on these guys? Or has it been pretty much the same for 20 years? No, it's changed. Uh, Jim Nagy, who's running it, and I was good friends and still good friends with Phil Savage. He, he made progress from the groups before him. But Jim's taken it to a different place. Uh, and so you get a lot more interest from players and clubs because I think the most important reason is the interview process. They have developed a very, uh, how would I say this? It's, it's well-designed. The clubs know they're going to get the players for a much more significant amount of time than they get at the combine. Um, and they can talk about practice. They can talk about football things. They can watch a little tape with them from practice. So I know the clubs like the interview process here. The players and the agents feel it's get it out of the way. Get your height, weight, all the measurement junk out of the way. Get your interviews out of the way. Uh, so there's a lot of reason they do it. And unfortunately, there are some players who had a great week that are not going to play in the game. That happens every year. But Jim anticipated that, and he brought in an extra 10 players uh, in hopes of you know covering up those spots where we're going to have some deficiency because – uh, as example, the Guyton kid from Oklahoma, the left tackle, he was phenomenal all week, and he looks the part, and he acted the part, and uh, he will not play in the game, to my knowledge. So, but that's okay. Uh, the club saw what they wanted to see, and someone else will get a chance to play a lot more, uh, which will give that guy a chance to at least maybe go from a seventh round pick to a fifth round pick. That's what they're here for—to go up the, in the draft one round. There were a couple of things that took place in the last few days in the league, and we may get to it, but we'll do it next segment. Let's just stay with position groups. If you want to highlight an individual player, fine, but I don't even know how much fans have started to zero in on the draft yet. So let's go position groups. We'll go sure. with the headliner first. The Penix and Knicks headlined the quarterbacks. How did the quarterbacks look? Uh, Penix looked terrific. Um he, first thing he did was measure and his hand was 10 and three quarters. So when you're in the business that I'm in, a big hand is important with these quarterbacks, especially if you're going to be outside cold weather, especially if you want to pump fake the ball, all the things that Roethlisberger was able to do. And he threw the ball very well. So the question with him is really, is he going to get to the bottom of the first round? Is he as good as any of the three above him? Who's sitting in the, like, uh, let's call it the 11 to 15 spot, who thinks, 
we'll take him. You so mean he's the Vikings? I asked the head coach. He said, you know, I'm having fun out here, but I already miss coaching. I said, you know, Penix said he'd meet you after dark if you want to have a <laughs> And he goes, he would? <laughs> you know how I am. So he, he took the bait on that. The second best quarterback here, and I and I you know, put the word potential on it, um, because we know he hasn't played well at times. It's not Bo Nix. Bo's had a hard week. Um, and he measured at 6'1", not 6'3", which is what he was labeled. Um, but he just had an average week. He has good plays and then bad plays. Uh, hits the ground, the ball with the you know into the ground, all that stuff. But it's Joe Milton. Joe Milton has got a really? lot of Really? Oh, yeah. Uh, Joe Milton has come here, and he's helped himself. Now, I did not say first round. I don't even know if it's second round. But Joe Milton, there's a lot of guys that are coaching quarterbacks that would love to get their hands on Joe Milton. Um, and put him behind an older veteran. Uh, so we had a little contest just because I was Rick with, uh, you know, Jimmy Miller and a couple of guys. And we said, you know, where's the right fit for him? And we talked about a couple of places. And I kind of thought, interestingly enough, in my mind, that I'd love to see him in Jacksonville. Uh, behind, not to replace Trevor Lawrence. But Trevor's a six-foot-five guy that can run and will run. And this guy has run skills and, and really has arm talent. But you got a ways to go. You don't want to put him on the field for two years. But if you ask me who made more waves after Penix, it's Joe Milton by far. Just curious how Spencer Rattler looked. You know, he, he was a guy towards the end of the season was making eyeballs on some draft boards. And again, not first round type guy, but just curious what, what your thoughts are on him. Yeah, I, well, I think the game is going to help him. You know, he, he kind of blended into the woodwork, if you will. And people were watching Joe. They're in the same group. People couldn't take their eyes off Joe and the athleticism. Oh, and, and, and interestingly enough, the personality. He was killing it in the interviews. Um, so Spencer was kind of in the background of that. But I think that's the kind of guy who's going to play very well in the game. But tenacious. I think he's going to be able to go out there. It's easy to read. It's cover three, cover two. You know, he's going to have an easy time with that stuff. I, I think the guy did not embarrass himself. He did not go backwards. Let's talk wide receivers. You know, it seems as if nowadays, you know, you could get one early in the first round, mid in the first round, but also you could find a Puka, you know, day two, day three. It seems as if they're all out there, Pat. Uh, how's the wide receiving core look? That's exactly what you just said. And we had that discussion yesterday. I, I always have the same routine on how I evaluate. I start with offensive line, then D line, linebackers, et cetera. And late yesterday, I get into the receivers more than just the obvious of seeing them do things. I think there is a sentiment here that you don't have to take a receiver. They kept talking about Rasheed Rice, the scouts, that he came here, kind of blended into the group. No one thought he did much, but play okay then he goes off to Kansas City and becomes you know a top receiver for them so they are looking at this group different like who can I get in the second round who can I get in the third round that can come in and play so I don't have and I'll give you an example because I had this conversation with a GM I said look why would you take a receiver early in this draft when a guy like the big nose tackle from Texas sweat is sitting there there's just not enough big people on the planet. And he agreed with me because you're right. You got to take you got to take the pass rush, you got to take the big tackle. That kid Sweat's going to be really something. Devondre Sweat and he's 
360 pounds, six foot four, former basketball player. They ran a double team on him eight times a day for three days. He split them, knocked them backwards. So why can you take a receiver? Back to your receivers. Uh, Xavier Levitt had a good week, the South Carolina kid. I'll tell you who else. Now, this is second, third round conversation. McConkey. He he looked like the he looked like if Bill Belichick was still coaching, he'd be a draft pick of the Patriots. He's the next slot receiver, but he's tall and he can do a lot of things. So he's got himself going pretty good with those guys. I'm just looking at my notes. Oh, Luke McCaffrey. There's another guy. And he definitely can play out at Z. And he's very polished. He's bigger than his brother. He's in phenomenal shape, and he's very explosive. And <laughs> I have to tell you, Roman Wilson was the best receiver here. Uh, and I don't know, don't know if he's going to play in the game. Uh, and I spent time with Jerry Rice yesterday. His son, uh, Brandon, the USC kid, I, I, I can see why people are intrigued. Like he's very physical. He's going to get called for pushing off. But he has all the little subtle tricks that Jerry's told him. Jerry was here with a camera filming practice so he could have a session with his son before he goes out for the game. Uh, so he's, think about that. Your dad's Jerry Rice and you're getting coached and he's filming it. So God only knows. But th those are the kind of guys I think you can get second, third, and fourth round that you not only expect to make the team, but you think they're going to play. So take the big guys when you can. Come back and get the receivers. There is some depth. And then obviously the offensive line, Pat, has been talked about as this being a great group in Mobile. What have you seen so far there? Yeah, I, I agree. It's always good. As I said, the, the Guyton kid was the best tackle here. He's a left tackle, legit left tackle. Probably worked himself into the first round. Uh, Morgan, Jordan Morgan, the kid from, Ari I think it's Arizona. Or maybe, yeah, Arizona. I thought it was Auburn. Those guys with an A on a helmet. Jordan Morgan is a massive player. He's huge. And they've got him at left tackle. To me, he's a right tackle. He's a big power player. Nobody could bull rush him. I mean, the first day in pads, they were all trying to bull rush these guys, and he just locked them down. Nobody, he didn't move at all. And I had a team yesterday that I like a lot. I think David likes him even more than me. They think he's a big-time power guard. Um, kind of tall for that job. We've had a couple like him, but like him a lot. Uh, those two guys jumped out off the page to me. I'm just looking at my note page for the rest of them. Uh, the limmer, the uh, kid, the uh, center from Arkansas, he can handle it. He can play in this league. He can play early. And my favorite player I saved for last, UConn. Go look at Christian Haynes. This guy, and I had a club tell me he's the best guard. If you're a zone-running team, he's the best guard in the draft. Not at the Senior Bowl, in the draft. I read an account, and great, you know, everybody's opinion is their own, that the two Michigan offensive linemen struggled, though, Keegan and Henderson. That, that's true. They looked very average. If they didn't have a Michigan helmet on, you would have said, mm, I'm not even going to grade the guy. But that team, the more I look at the players that are here from Michigan, what they were was a great team. And they kept all those – nobody left in the portal. Right. Everybody stayed. They yep. had a lot of older players. And they were a good football team. But when you put them in here with kids like a UConn kid, shines as bright as could be, and the Michigan kids did not. Very interesting. Uh, defensive linemen, I heard there's some good edge rushers. we got about a minute or so. Um, yeah, the kid from UCLA, but he, I'll talk about him right now. Leia 2, Latu. 
uh, slippery pass rusher, very physical, um, has every move. I thought he, he ran a spin move, and as he was getting trapped in a spin move, he did an arm over and beat the guy. You don't see kids that have double moves that understand it. He, to me, was the guy, but here's his problem. He had neck surgery three years ago. University of Washington had him, told him his football career was over, so he left. He went to UCLA, had 26 sacks in two years. He was the best pass rusher here. He's Pat Kerwin, NFL Radio, Moving the Chain, CBS Sports, the NFL Today Show, and Pat is joining us today from Mobile, Alabama, host of the Senior Bowl, as we talk and start getting you ready for the NFL Draft. We'll take turn towards some league matters with Pat next right here on Miller and Moulton, the Florida sports network. Welcome back to Miller and Moulton only on the Florida sports network. Twenty-one minutes past the hour remaining moments with Pat Kerwin. He's in Mobile, Alabama. For the Senior Bowl, he's taking in three full days of practices and interviews. Pat, let's talk about some of the league issues in the last handful of days. The last two head coaches hired. You spoke with the new Seahawks head coach, Mike McDonald, yesterday. Your impressions? Well, I I got a chance to meet him uh, right before the game, the Kansas City-Baltimore game. He came over to the set. And uh, he was very excited to meet Bill Cower, and uh, he made a very favorable impression on Bill and me. Really, really smart, um, you know. And I don't know what grades mean, but he was a four O student. He never he got A in everything he ever did at Georgia. So very, very bright, very energetic. Um, and so for me, because my relationship with Pete, I was looking at a guy who's going to replace Pete, and I was very pleased to see his energy level. Not that he's out there to replicate Pete Carroll, but you got a football team that likes that. And I think this young guy is gonna do a really good job. Um, He's got a lot of work to do, but you know, you look at like the two linebackers in Seattle are gonna be free. Um, I would think that he's gonna keep Bobby and, and go get Patrick Queen, who's, who was with him just now, who's, you know, 150 tackle guy. So, I think he's got a chance to fill in some blanks. I don't know what they're going to do at quarterback, but I I think it's the right choice for them. I'll leave it at that. When it comes to, when you talk to these guys, what are you searching for when they're trying to hire their staff? Because obviously it's one thing to be a leader, but it's another to assemble a staff, and that's the biggest part for these young coaches, isn't it? It was the first, and I know David listened to the interview, it was the very first thing I asked him. Um, and it's it's really, you don't go to the interviews. You had two of them, of course. So you don't go to the interviews without your potential staff because you're going to get asked that in the interview. And so he's got people that want to work with him. Uh, there are some guys that he could potentially keep from that staff if he falls short. Let's say he's got three guys for his O-line job and, and, he, and he loses all three because everyone else is hustling for the same guys. Uh, then, then I think he could keep the line coach there for a year because most of those guys are under contract. So he, he's got some fallback position if he needs to. But I think this kid is, I think a lot of coaches look at him and go, I want to work with that guy. Think of some of the guys that have got jobs and, and some of the places they're going 
I don't want to insult anybody by some of the teams that are looking for position coaches. I think he's going to do a good job of recruiting what he needs. I think he's already got a handful of them already covered. Uh, for what it's worth, the Jaguars losing their passing game coordinator this morning, Nick Holes, and he's going in the division to Tennessee to be the offensive coordinator with the Titans and their new head coach, Brian Callahan. So Callahan well, getting his dad, yes. Bill, to be offensive line coach and now in the division plucking one of Doug Peterson's lieutenants, if you will, to be his offensive coordinator. Wow. Uh, you know Dan Quinn well. He ends up being the fallback guy in – Washington. Your thoughts on Quinn and the Commanders? Um, I, I'm happy for Dan. I don't think the last game when the defense played so poorly was going to be what his resume was all about. Uh, I love coaches on a rebound. Uh, anytime you can get a guy that was a head coach, he learned an awful lot. I've talked to Dan many times about what he learned uh, and what he wouldn't do again that he did in Atlanta. And I've seen a lot of progress and even in schemes on football, but I also see how he handles himself. So I think they're going to get a guy that's ready to go in there. It's a rough job. And the GM that they hired looks to me like there's some symmetry with them. And, uh, and I can say this, I said it on the air, the young GM does not have to worry about Dan. Dan is a total guy of integrity. He's never going to backstab him. He's never going to badmouth them. He's going to build a relationship. So that guy has a chance to have a partnership with Dan because that's how Dan will operate in this thing. But, you know, we were talking about this earlier, Pat, to, to me with Dan, isn't it all about who he hires as his OC right now? Yeah. And I, and I don't know. I talked to him yesterday. I didn't ask him that question, nor would I reveal the answer if I had it because he probably doesn't have it locked down yet. But Dan recognizes exactly what he needs to do. Remember he had Kyle Shanahan in Atlanta. He knows the value of getting a guy that can run the offense. Not that he will ever turn his back on the offense, because I think he now realizes I got to be hands-on with everything and make sure I'm on top of it and make sure they run the ball at the end of a Super Bowl, David. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. Up 28-12 with under 10 minutes to go. Yeah, how about running the ball a little bit instead of throwing it? Uh, by the way, Chip Kelly mentioned as a possible OC for Dan. Cliff Kingsbury is reportedly going to be uh, Pierce's OC with the Raiders. You know, these are interesting hires. You talk about the value of an NFL head coach at his second opportunity. Well, these are guys who have been either coordinators or head coaches in the league before who may come back to call plays, albeit a few years later. Well, we all see the migration. I'm sure you guys are talking about it. The migration away from college football. Uh, we saw Boston College. We've seen a bunch of uh, Michigan. And there's more. And there's guys will take a position coaching job or a coordinator's job in the NFL just to get away from NIL and Portal. And they've had enough of that. And they're frustrated by it. So you can go and get a top college coach right now and offer him a coordinator's job, and he's going to walk away from his, pro, his college job and take the pro job. It was crazy how that gone, but the, the, the burnout rate of trying to build the football team, and then the story on, on Nick was the day, the day after the game, and I'm sure David's covered this, the day after the game, eight players at Alabama were in his office waiting for him to say, we need more money or we're going to leave. And then Nick left before they did. <laughs> well, that's the word that's on the, the street that 
that Nick, because of Nick and him saying, listen, we'll get you drafted. We Nobody places more guys in the league than us. I, nobody understands the league better than I do. All right, you want to play here. Supposedly, there was a Nick Saban discount, if you know what I mean, that the minute he left, the Alabama players looked at the new regime coming in and said, uh, yeah, there's no discount anymore. Well, they left before Nick. They they were in his office saying, we can leave. We're in the portal. We can make more money than you're given. And either you give us more money or we're going. And that's what I – and I know who the guy who told me was very close to it and said he's had enough. He warned all of us when the portal started and NIL started that this was going to happen. And there's no regulating it. And all these guys that come on, oh, we're going to have to regulate. You can't, you can't. regulate it. There's no union on the other side. Are you going to have a collective bargaining agreement with high school kids? They're not unionized. So I think he looked at it. I think uh, our friend up at Boston College said, you know, there's schools that are, if Alabama is losing guys, what do you think the rest of them are doing? So what's going to happen? The big city schools with Fortune 500 companies that have the money are going to buy football teams. And I think Nick, works really hard at it and has a reputation. His reputation and his credentials were going up in smoke. And he just said, I've had enough. And a lot of guys are either going to retire or go to pro football. Mark, reportedly Ohio State this transfer portal season has spent $5 million. That sounds about right. Yeah. And, and I mean, they're spending it on the high school kids. They're spending it on the, the portal kids. And they're going to have a really good roster because of it. And that's what it's going to take. And, and the signing days are going to start to marry up to this stuff. And uh, so we'll see how people, how many, how many do you save? He's Pat Kerwin, NFL radio, moving the chains three to seven weekdays. He'll be in Vegas next week. Don't know if we'll be able to talk to him that early hour and all. You know, CBS has the Super Bowl. A few people are interested in that. Pat joins us courtesy of Pinchers from Tampa to Key West, all points in between Pinchers because you can't fake fresh. Listen, enjoy the rest of your time in Mobile. Safe travels, buddy. And we'll try to catch up at some point next week. Yep, hope to. Thank you. Thanks, Pat. Bye-bye, guys. It is amazing. If they're here, if they're talking about the Saturday coaches at the Senior Bowl, what that means for the college game, it is wild times to say the least. Thanks for listening, Miller and Moulton. You're listening to Miller and Moulton exclusively on the Florida Sports Network. 22 minutes before the hour. We just got done talking to Pat Kerwin. We kind of went through some of the players and position groups at the Senior Bowl. We also talked about Dan Quinn, Mike McDonald getting hired, and also just will there be now an influx of college guys leaving Saturdays to go be position coaches or coordinators on Sundays because they don't want any more of the transfer portal and NIL. How about that, Mark? They're, they'd rather embrace NFL free agency in which one-third of every roster is on a one-year contract minimum than they would the college transfer portal. Damn. Uh, one of those guys making the move, by the way, is apparently the new offensive coordinator, of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Liam Cohen, C-O-E-N. He's gone back and forth between Saturdays and Sundays for a few years now. He was with the Rams and Sean McVay 
when they first went to the Super Bowl and for a couple years afterwards. He was actually a quarterback coach when he and McVay were kind of like, I don't know about this golf guy. All right. But then he goes to Kentucky for a year. It doesn't work. He goes back to the Rams for a year as offensive coordinator. He leaves the Rams. He goes back to Kentucky as offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Now he's leaving Kentucky for Tampa Bay. What's important to note there, Mark, and Trent watched it last night. You and I didn't. This whole pro skills, because it's not the Pro Bowl anymore. It's right, it's game. the skills competition. Right. They played so, dodgeball, for crying out loud. Right. And apparently they had the you know quarterback accuracy thing, throwing at moving targets. I guess Baker won it. I guess. And he joked in the post-game interview that, well, yeah, the last pass I threw got intercepted in Detroit. I mean, that's how much he prepped for the competition. But he did say, you know, when asked seriously, so, you know, Canales left. What are your thoughts? And he goes, well, it, it depends on who they hire as offensive coordinator. Right. I, it was just going to get you beat me to it, David. That was, you know, Baker's spoke at length. He was praising of Canales getting the job and thought he deserved the job. But they said that they engaged Tampa with some contract talks and Canales left and his agent has not since engaged the Bucks. They want to well, see who the OC is going to be. Remember, Baker Mayfield starts the 2022 season, well, the spring and summer, he was with Cleveland, gets traded to Carolina, gets cut by Carolina, ends up where? With the Rams. Plays the final five games of the 2022 season with the Rams. Who's he working with? Sean McVay and his offensive coordinator, Liam Cohen. So you would think this is a real quick verdict from Baker Mayfield. I'm guessing Cohen got the job because Baker approves of him. 100%. If you're Tampa right now, can you really afford to lose Baker Mayfield? No, you got Kyle Trask and nothing else. And you don't want to be spending your first round pick. And by the way, you're in the 20s. So you'd have to, yeah, it'd be a mess to, at this point to replace Baker. Yeah. It sets you back. And Tampa's clearly not interested in going back. So Liam Cohen, C-O-E-N, pretty sure that's how you pronounce his last name. All right, could be Cohen. He's the new offensive coordinator, apparently, with the Bucks, And he had Baker Mayfield for a handful of games with the Rams at the end of the 2022 season. He's done the Rams-Kentucky shuttle for, like, the last six years. So there you go. But another guy leaving Saturdays for Sunday. Now, I'm guessing he, this is a raise. I mean, you go from offense coordinator at Kentucky to offense coordinator with the Bucks. This is a raise. But for what it's worth, that's apparently the move. And hopefully that's the right move for Baker Mayfield and company as Tampa tries to reset. Now with the coaching, a lot of coaching vacancies in Tampa. Obviously, Bowles is staying, but they lost 
not just their coordinator, but they lost an O-line coach. They lost a, a, a special a, teams coach. Right. Right. Yep. Oh, yeah. No, he's got a he's got like a third of his room he's got to fill here. No doubt. So, yeah, there you have it. Little, little news during the show today. Couple of poll questions today to update you on. The okay. first one was our football question. What do you think will happen first, a Super Bowl outside of the U.S. or a pay-per-view Super Bowl? Right now, pay-per-view getting three-quarters of the vote. Ooh, it was much closer earlier. So, okay. But, David, 83% of our audience thinks Groundhog Day is overrated. Thank you. Oh, thank you. My faith in humanity has been restored. Got this text. Had a coworker take a vacation to go see Phil. Thought she was nuts. Yeah, I do, too. And I like I have no problem with Groundhog's Day. I think it's rated appropriately. It has its day. It just is what it is. Right. Some people talk about it. It's on the news. It's one day a week or a year. Right. Thank God it's not one day a week. But Punxsutawney, by the way, is, if you look at Pennsylvania, draw a line through the center of the state and then go about three-quarters of the way to the left. And that's real. That's where Punxsutawney is. So you know, you split the state in half, and then you got the western half of the state. Split that in half, in the center of it, that's where Punxsutawney is. It's a little further north than I remembered. I thought when we traveled, we went a little further south, but it's pretty much marked. Split the difference between like State College and Pittsburgh. You know, split the drive. There you go, Punxsutawney. It's a little further north, but you get the idea. Okay, good to know. If in case I ever want to make a trip to Puxatawney. Well, I just you know, it just we were talking about where it is, and you know, I went the one year early in my career and covered the damn thing. Oh yeah, team coverage of Punxsutawney Phil. I'm like, you know, I'm a sports guy, right? David, do uh, you know what year this was? Because I have was, all the results in front of me right now. Uh it was it was late '80s. Uh, let's see, it was with YOU. We had the only sat truck in town. We were showing it off. That's why we went. I'm going to say it was February 87. 87 was a long winter. But if you're off by a year, 86 and 88 were both early spring. It was not 86. I hadn't been hired yet. And 88, I didn't work there. I had already been fired. So, no, it had to be February 87. You got a long winter in February of 87. Yeah, no kidding. Really. Shocker in Pennsylvania, <laughs> six more weeks of winter in early February. Really? Apparently, you didn't see a shadow today. Once again, I'm disputing the election results. Really? How do we know? I want to recount. I do. And I don't care one way or another. All I want to hear from you is what would be your sports groundhog day? If you could live one day over and over again in your sports lifetime, what would it be? Like this gentleman says, the 76 Reds beat them Yankees. Wow, that's interesting. It wasn't the one before, the classic World Series against the Red Sox. Huh. The second one meant more. Interesting. Because, you know, the Reds had come, they had lost the 70 World Series, the 72 World Series. The Mets, who won 82, 83 games, took them out in the LCS in 73. I mean, the Reds couldn't win the big one. In 75, you know, they get over the hump against Sox. Down 3 nothing in seventh inning of game seven and come back and win the game in the series? Ah, it's amazing to me the 76 one meant more to them. 
So that's what we're asking, having a little fun day, trying to bring some positivity to the show right. after David completely took down Puxatawney Phil and everything having to do with Groundhog's Day. Just trying to lift your spirits up, making you think of those great, glorious, that great, glorious day in your sports fandom. And now I'm, you know, catching heat on Twix because, you know, people think then I'm that I'm, I'm dogging Bill Murray. Love Bill Murray. By the way, don't think it's his best movie. Don't think it's a top five movie, by the way, for Bill Murray. I really don't. Okay. I, Bill Murray's been in some incredible movies. Bill Murray's had some amazing performances. Okay. I, I thought Bill, I don't want to say Bill, I thought Bill mailed it in in Groundhog's Day, but I, I just thought it was a run of the mill Bill Murray performance, to be honest with you. And a run-of-the-mill Bill Murray performance is a B movie. That's where I dispute your initial, you know, that's the only thing. Because you're right. I don't think it's a top five Bill Murray movie. I don't think it's close. That says more about Bill Murray than it does about Groundhog. Yeah. Thank you. He's had an amazing career. An accomplished actor. By the way, it sounds like, you know, are they going to, are they done with the Ray Romanos and Bill Murrays of the world that, Pebble Beach. I mean, there's because you know, Mark, you've talked about it for years. The players hate the clam bank. It's six hour rounds. They hate it. The weather's terrible in early February. It's often windy and cold. Okay, this isn't playing a US Open there in June. All right. It's oftentimes lousy. Six hour rounds, all the amateurs they got to deal with, you know, and Bill Murray and Ray Romano yucking it up on the course we love it there's a lot of tour pros that are standing there going do i really have to stand behind this crap again and they don't have that this year there's no actors all the comedians and the actors are not the amateurs there's some athletes and big money business guys and friends of friends those are the amateurs and they're wondering if basically bill murray's been at his last clam bake. probably now, I'll be curious, and you know what? Probably not, because it won't be an elevated event every year. Right. Once it goes back to being a non-elevated event, you're going to have the 156 amateurs with the players. So probably not, David. Right. And wait till you see the field when it's not an elevated event. Woo! How many of these uh, top 50 guys do you think will be in this event next year when it's not elevated? Over, under, five and a half. Under. <laughs> under. And we're not joking. Spieth talked about it. Yeah. He said he played a three and a half hour nine one time. It took him three and a half hours to play nine holes. And, and we wondered, if, we wondered if that was just when he played with Patrick Cantley. Hello. And that's when he shoots eight under 64 and is one off the lead, and he still takes that long. Imagine when he's scuffling to a 73. <sighs> All right. Uh, Mark's, by the way, day is uh, – do you remember the exact date in 84 uh, that no, the Tigers won the World Series? I don't. The game six, um, you know, I just – I remember being – or I just remember being in my living room with – Greg Armstrong and Terry Carpenter. And you went to game three. Correct. Right? That which was the first Tigers home World Series game in 16 years. Boy, that place must have been just as... My dad did the wave. Something I never thought I would see. 
Uh, I would have loved to have seen Fred doing the wave. Right. That'd be awesome. Hot dog in one hand, beer in the other, doing the wave at Tiger Stadium. And then uh, for me, it's June 14th of 94. The Rangers win in the Cup. And for Trent, it's 19 days ago. And then the sad part is, is that his negative day would just be a couple of days ago. Right. Five days ago. You've lived, you've lived both of them, the highs and the lows, in a matter of a two-week period. I have. And you know what? If the Lions had gotten beat 45 to 21 by the Niners, it wouldn't be the worst day. No. No. It would be one of the Michigan State, maybe the 9 getting crushed by UNC or something like that. But or the Tigers and uh, but Tory you Hunter but you were tasting it. You were you were I was and, and everybody was. Man. And I said game six, game five. My bad. So what's what's the Groundhog Day that you could relive? You would love to relive, over and over. I had a buddy of mine who's a big. Washington, Baltimore area sports fan. And for him, it was June, I think it's 8th, maybe it's 9th of uh, six years ago when the Caps won the Cup. And he said, yeah, that's mine. And he said, beats the Ravens, you know. I will say with the Orioles, you got to go, it's 40 years since the Orioles won the World Series. Uh, you know, they, some of these droughts are remarkable. Hell, if the Niners win, it's been 29 years since the Niners have won a Super Bowl. We don't think of them that way. No, we do not. That's a championship organization. Yeah, they've been good a lot of the time. Yeah. Like 20 of those 29 years, they've been good. How many NFC champions? I mean, Harbaugh went to three. You know, uh, obviously Shanahan's now gone to, what, four out of five? I mean, they've been in seven or eight NFC title games since they last won a Super Bowl. Proving the point. It's not easy to win that final game, and very few teams do it. And that's why some people aren't even responding because their team's never won one in their lifetime. Along the network... Have a great weekend. The Diamond District Bonus Hour is next.